The Church, in her wisdom, sets out weekly readings from the Gospels. These readings allow us to follow the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and the story of our salvation. Upper Room Media presents to you the weekly Sunday homily delivered from Sydney, Australia. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Mm, sounds very uh, mumbly, a little bit. Maybe just, uh, Christ is risen. Okay, they've got to be a little bit more awake. I think the problem is sometimes by the second week we've forgotten. Right? And, uh, and that's sort of what we want to talk about today. But before I get into that, I have a quick question. Let's think about this together. In Washington, D.C., how safe would we all think Pennsylvania Avenue is? Those of you who don't know, what's on Pennsylvania Avenue? The White House. The White House. All right. So how secure, how safe is Pennsylvania Avenue? It's probably one of the most safe streets in all of America that you can walk in. Because the president lives there. Quite simple. Now let's imagine although what I'm about to say, parts of it might not be so far from fantasy. Let's imagine that over here, in our side of the world, the city of Chicago, over the next couple of weeks, keep getting progressively worse and worse. Crime becomes even more and more rampant. Stores are closing everywhere. People are <coughs> looting and there's violence in the streets. And eventually, let's just say in a year or two, it gets so bad that the mayor, the police, all the first responders desert the city. They leave it. And they decide that we can no longer govern the city. And gangs take over the city. And there's absolutely no real law and order anymore. And let's just say it stays like that for a couple of years. We can all imagine what that place would look like in, in several years, right? Now let's imagine after that, suddenly, a new administration comes into power in, in DC, a new president, right? And this president actually was a native of Chicago. And he really likes his hometown and he really hates how bad things have gotten there. So initially, he starts issuing executive orders about things that need to be done about law and order all over the country, and especially in Chicago. And he starts sending special emissaries to go there and see what's going on. And maybe some of the people that he sends are able to make a little bit of progress, but the city's still ungovernable. And then finally, when he sees how bad it's still getting, he decides to do something very radical. He decides to do something completely crazy. He issues a new executive order saying the following, effective immediately, the White House shall now move to the south side of Chicago. And he takes the whole staff, and they find one of the streets on the south side. 
and the new White House is there. What do you think is going to happen to the South Side? What do you think is going to happen maybe to all of Chicago? Now that the president is, lives there, now you have the Secret Service, the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, the, US, the, the National Guard, the entire entourage of the president now living in that area. What kind of what kind of city does Chicago become? Something probably completely new. Just because the president lives there. Now it's interesting that. Of course, this analogy that I've given is kind of a modern-day one. But many centuries ago, St. Athanasius looked at the status of mankind and what God had done for it in those very same terms. He says, if there was a king who constructed a city and then the inhabitants who lived in that city were careless and then it was overrun by bandits and gangsters, the best thing that that king would do would basically go into that city and live in one of its houses. And once he has lived there, the enemies, the bandits, the gangsters would no longer dare to try and take over because the king is living there. And so he continues St. Athanasius and says, therefore, the king of all meaning our Lord, coming himself into our realm and dwelling in a body like all others. When he has done this, all the designs of the enemy, meaning the devil, against human beings have ceased. So what is it that Christ has done? When we look today in the readings of the liturgy, and we try to think about what does the resurrection mean? Like last week, we see this idea of, you know, you talk about Thomas Sunday, and it's a new beginning, and Jesus saying, you know, see me and believe. And even those who haven't seen me in the flesh, if they believe they're going to have a blessing, what are they believing in? They are believing in the risen body of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that human beings who originally were completely overrun by the power of the devil, completely overrun by the power of death, and their bodies are completely inclined to sin and always completely uncontrollable. People can't control themselves. That's why sin keeps increasing. When the Lord himself takes that body and makes it his own, and when he dies in that body and rises from the dead, and then the disciples are asked to believe in the fact that he is risen, okay, it's a fact, or is it? It's not just a fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. Today we hear in the readings... St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians that there was this great mystery that was hidden from all people for many centuries, for many generations, but it was part of God's plan from the very beginning, from before there was even time. What was that plan? That plan was that all of creation that he created, 
the angels, the archangels, all the heavenly hosts, and all the humans that he created, and all of creation, he would be at the center of it, and all of that creation would share in his life, and share in the enjoyment of his presence, and be praising him and living with him forever and ever and ever. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Now, of course, the plan gets messed up a little bit in the beginning because Adam and Eve and all that story that we know. But then all of a sudden, God strikes back, so to speak. I was just told a few days ago that uh, they released the Return of the Jedi, an anniversary edition, right? So, like, what is this idea of the return? There's this idea that darkness has overcome those of you who are Star Wars fans, right? There's this idea that there was a very good idea in the very beginning. It gets messed up because someone decides to go their own way. And then the rest of the movie series is about how this restoration happens, which is kind of the story of our life when you think about it. So God's design gets restored by a very unique way. We read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, the Gentiles are now, when he says the Gentiles, it's just the New Testament term for all the nations, all the people who aren't Jews, everybody, right? So let's say all the nations are now fellow heirs and members of the body. What's that mean? It means that we are now all a part, a member, a piece, an organ, if you want to use the biological term, of the body of Jesus Christ that rose from the dead. And that's why then we read in the gospel reading today and last night and this morning the idea that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am giving you my body to eat so that when you assimilate what you eat into yourselves, you are now also part of that risen body from the dead. Now that sounds so extreme. It sounds so deep. Because if you think about it, what does it mean that we are now part of the risen body of the Lord Jesus Christ? It means that we now also have a share of Defeating death, defeating our sins, having power over the devil, overcoming our evil tendencies, overcoming our sins, overcoming our evil habits, not being afraid of death anymore. Where's St. George's icon? It's probably the one over there, right? You look at someone like St. George, a completely out-of-this-world kind of a person. Someone who had all the rank and all the status and all the power and all the money. You know, he was a son. You know, he was part of a, a semi-aristocratic class. Position in the army. And then all of a sudden, he just throws all that away because he thinks Christ is more important. And he's not afraid of death. The story of St. George tells us that he was actually killed like three times and rose again from the dead. That's how we say it in the melodies and the doxologies in the church. He was not afraid. And even when they killed him, he would rise again. It was like he's always he's being super stubborn. And even when they tried to tempt him with sin and they locked him up in the prison and threw a prostitute in with him in the, in the jail, in the prison, 
she emerges from that experience believing in Christ and becoming a martyr herself. What is that? That's the insane power of the resurrection. And that is happening how? How does God save us? He doesn't save us by enacting some kind of transaction or an executive order, if you like. He enacts it by dwelling inside of us. That is what salvation is. Salvation is ultimately that Christ himself dwells in us and we dwell in him, we become a part of him, and we also have a share in his life and in his resurrection from the dead. But why aren't we always able to do this? Why aren't we realizing this? Why does this sound so lofty and so out there? We still feel that we're overcome by our sins, by our bad habits, by our bad traits, our tempers, our you know, lack of patience, our bitterness, our evil desires. We, we feel overcome by that. Why do we still feel it? Probably, first of all, of course, we are weak. And the full realization of that glory that we're talking about is going to come when we also rise from the dead. But the other part of it is that sometimes maybe we're not believing it enough. Or maybe we're too busy. Like Jesus himself said in the Matins reading this morning in the gospel. He says, you're following me not because you saw signs, not because you saw amazing things, but because you ate of the bread and were filled. And then he says, you know, you have to seek the imperishable food that lasts into everlasting life. When we're too busy thinking about the food of this world, and we just want to fill our bellies with everything that this world has to offer, we no longer have the ability to look up. That's why St. Paul says in Colossians, which is kind of a sister epistle to Ephesians, he says, if you have risen with Christ, then seek what is above. If we have really risen with Christ, we have to start changing our mindset. We have to stop worrying and focusing too much on the things that are happening in the world. I'm not saying we all become monks and just desert everything. Well, St. Paul wasn't even talking to monks. He was talking to regular people like all of us. But where is our heart? Is it with the risen Christ who is now seated by the right hand of his Father in the heavens? Are we seeking God with all our hearts through our daily prayer, our consistent seeking of God in his word and coming and worshiping and worshiping at home and worshiping at church and continually receiving his body and blood so that we can always abide in him. If, if we're too busy, if we're too preoccupied by things that are around us, we don't have a share in any of this. Or we just don't believe it. We just think that this is all nice stuff that's being said. We take it in a way that's almost like it's a metaphor, like it's a poem, like it's fantasy, like it's a story tale, like a tale, you know? A story that's just told to make us feel better about ourselves in this life. But the reality is that, as St. John said today in, the, in his letter, he who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. We need to look inside ourselves. Do I really have faith? Do I really believe in all of this? Or is this 
just something we do on Sunday morning, just something that my parents believed and my grandparents believed and my great-great-grandparents believed, and this is just something that we do. Christ rising from the dead is not an event that happened 2,000 years ago. If, it, if it's merely that, then we have no share in it. But Christ is in us, and therefore, as he himself said, I am alive, therefore you also shall live. Glory to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.